You're listening to a sermon from Mission City Fellowship of San Antonio, Texas. Mission City Fellowship exists to make and mature disciples of Jesus Christ who live all of life for the glory of God and proclaim Christ for the joy of all people. I hope you have your Bibles with you this morning. If you want to go ahead and find the book of Ruth, we'll be in chapter 3. Ruth is towards the front of your Bible. I don't know if this helps, but it's on page 272 in my Bible. So if that helps you. We'll be reading the third chapter in just a few moments. But let me ask you this. What what comes to mind when you hear that an airplane crashed? For most of us, we when we initially hear something like that, we, we wonder what happened. Uh, did the plane crash because of pilot error? Was it mechanical failure? Did it crash because it was weather related? There were storms going on. We might wonder about who was on it and how many people were hurt or injured. We might wonder how old the plane is. We might even think about our next flight, which Terry and I are getting on a plane tomorrow. So, might feel a little twinge of anxiety the next time we fly. What we don't wonder about, what doesn't even seem to cross our mind or to get a consideration, is really what ultimately caused the plane to crash. We don't ever think about gravity. But that is the final, ultimate reason why a plane would crash. Gravity brought it back to Earth. It's ultimately what caused the accident. The headlines from a plane crash would never read, Gravity took another victim. We don't think about gravity that way. Gravity is assumed, but not really considered. It is like the backstory that everyone knows and assumes, but never states. We have been making our way through this beautiful book of Ruth. In Ruth, there is a backstory that's undergirding and driving the whole book. And sometimes it's easy to miss it. Sometimes we assume it, but we never really state it. As we've been working through this, I think we've had just a great, Phil has just opened the Word for us and opened Ruth in such wonderful ways that, that we have been looking at what I am calling this morning a backstory. Because to understand Ruth, you have to know that there is a backstory underlining, underlying everything that happens. It affects all the people in the book of Ruth, and it ultimately directs all the actions that are taking place in the book of Ruth. The backstory of the book of Ruth is the sovereign Hesed of God. Hesed, H-E-S-E-D. The sovereign Hesed of God. Now, Hesed is a Hebrew word. It is a word that describes the unseen hand of God as it acts to bring about mercy and grace in the lives specifically of Naomi and Ruth and Boaz. But what exactly is Hesed? 
Again, it is this Hebrew word that points to God's kindness and goodness and mercy and compassion and faithfulness that He demonstrates to His people. Hesed can only be understood in the context of relationships. God's relationship with His people that is then demonstrated in our relationship to one another and to other people. Hesed, this Hebrew word, speaks of God's loyalty to His people as He acts for their good. Hesed is never by itself. It's never alone. It is seen in how one person treats another person. It is not just a quality of being. It's not just kind thoughts or, or prayers. It is an action where one person is acting for the good and benefit of another person. And they're committed to that. It's shown in acts of kindness. It's shown in acts of generosity. It's shown in a faithfulness that's displayed in that relationship. And we see this hesed kind of thing most clearly in God and how He loves and cares for His people. Hesed is fundamentally an action. It is shown in the compassionate actions of one person to another, and often from someone who is stronger to someone who is weaker. From someone who has to someone who, who does not have. And a key part of Hesed is that it goes beyond what is required. It doesn't just get to, to what might be helpful. It goes beyond. It's seeking to do above and beyond what might be necessary. And a very important part of this concept, this thing we're calling Hesed, that is underlying and undergirding and driving all that is happen, happening in the book of, of Ruth, is that it is, this Hesed is not based on what is earned or what is merited. It is based on what a person needs. And in the account of Ruth, the details surrounding her life, Hesed is the backstory that makes sense of all that happens. Certainly, Ruth shows Hesed to Naomi. Boaz will show Hesed to Ruth and also by implication to Naomi. But most importantly, family, the Lord is showing sovereign Hesed to all three of these people. And that is what we are going to look at this morning. The hesed of the Lord toward Boaz, toward Naomi, and toward Ruth. Now, if you remember, basically a quick overview of what's happened in the first two chapters. Uh, Naomi is married to Amimelech. Excuse me. They leave uh, Israel to go to Moab because they're looking for food. That was a bad decision. While they're there, uh, uh, Naomi's sons marry Moabite women. Then Naomi's husband dies. Then her children, her sons die. And she's left with these two daughter-in-laws that are Moabites. Naomi hears that, that there is food back in Bethlehem. There's food back in Israel. So she decides to go. And so she basically tells her daughter-in-laws, you're free to go. I'm not going to make you stay with me. One of them takes her up on that option and stays in Moab. Ruth 
says, no, I am committed to you. Where you go, I'm going to go with you. I am committed to you. They come back. They're, they're two widows who are desperate and in need. They need food. They know that they can go glean on the outskirts, on the boundaries of, of fields in order to get some kind of wheat that they could then make into something that they could eat. They do that. It's through this that Ruth ends up meeting or, or, or comes to the attention of a man by the name of Boaz. Boaz sees her. He's aware of her story. He's aware of what's going on in her life. And that's pretty much where we pick up in Ruth chapter 3. Ruth chapter 3 beginning in verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, to Ruth, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say I will do. Verse 6. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight the man was startled and turned over and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made the last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a Redeemer, yet there is a Redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning if He will redeem you good, let Him do it. But if He is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until morning. Until the morning. Verse 14, So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another, and he said, Let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it out. And he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. 
This is the Lord's Word. By the time we get to chapter 3, Naomi begins to change her perspective somewhat from herself, where she's been very aware of how bitter she is, she's been very aware of the difficulties in her life, in her estimation, she left Israel full. She's coming back empty-handed. But she begins to shift here in chapter 3 to focus more specifically on her daughter-in-law, Ruth. If you remember, back in chapter 1, they only actually prayed for her two daughters-in-law and that, that the Lord would deal kindly with them and that the Lord would grant them that they may find rest. So when we get to chapter 3... Ruth has been gleaning in Boaz's fields. Boaz has made sure that she has been protected. Boaz has made sure that there were, there were, there were actual gleanings that she could collect. And so now Naomi is coming up with the plan to secure rest for Ruth in a life where she would be cared for and in a life where she would be provided for. So we know that Naomi must know that Boaz is a relative. And Naomi must also know that the, the law of God concerning what, what is called kinsmen redeemers. The kinsman redeemer is a male relative who, according to various laws of the Pentateuch, of the Old Testament, according to the various laws, of Mosaic laws, that person had the privilege and the responsibility to act on behalf of a relative who was in trouble, or is in danger, or who was in need for whatever reason. Naomi knew that according to the Mosaic law, Boaz, as a blood relative, very likely had a kinsman redeemer obligation to marry Ruth. Now, a lot of this sounds very foreign to us, you know, many thousands of years later. But this was a very operational thing in this day and time. So, with that knowledge in mind, Ruth comes up with the plan. I mean, Naomi comes up with the plan. She tells Ruth that you need to go wash yourself, you need to put on some perfume, you need to put on some nice clothes, and then you are to go to the threshing floor where Boaz would be with his harvest, and you need to wait there till night. And then she instructs her, you need to, to, to lay down at his feet, and when you, before you do that, you need to uncover his feet, and then you need to lay there. Now, just... To make sure we understand, at the end of harvesting came threshing. That is when all the bundled barley would be thrown out onto a hard surface and you would take something like a sledgehammer and you'd just start beating it. Sometimes they'd have animals that would trample on it. And the purpose of this was to separate the kernels from the husk. And after you had the threshing, came the winnowing, it talks about here. Winnowing is when somebody would come with the pitchfork and they would toss up these grains and husks and straw, whatever else may be in there, into the air. And the wind and breeze would come through. And because the kernel was heavy, it would fall back to the ground and all the other stuff would blow away. And that's how they basically came up with their grain. So Boaz was doing all of this at night. He had this harvest. And the plan was for Ruth to wait until he was done, and then to done with the work, wait till after he had eaten and drink, drank something, and she was to further wait until basically he was asleep. She was to go in and again uncover his feet and lay down at his feet. And Naomi told Ruth 
after she did this, that whatever happens next, her response would be dictated by what Boaz would do, or what Boaz would say to her. So Ruth did and does what Naomi instructs. After the threshing, and then the eating and the drinking, Boaz wakes up, he falls asleep, and he wakes up to find a woman at his feet. I mean, probably coming out of a deep sleep because he'd been working hard, probably after a, a satisfying meal, he was probably in a deep sleep. He wasn't really sure what was going on, wasn't sure who this was, so he asked, who are you? Who is this? She says, I am Ruth, your servant. And then she makes this incredibly bold statement. Somewhat even aggressive. And it's beyond what Naomi had actually instructed her to do. Ruth then says, after she says, I am Ruth, your servant, she says, spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Basically, Ruth is reminding Boaz of her obligation under the law of God, under the Mosaic law of God, that he should marry her. Spread your wings over your servant is just another way of saying, you're supposed to marry me. There's an obligation here. And this is how Boaz responds. May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, even greater than giving up her home and following, uh, following Naomi. This is a greater kindness. Because when she apparently was young, she was... By implication, what he's saying, she was attractive. She could have gone after young men. It didn't matter whether they were rich or poor. She could have had a younger man. And he says, you didn't do that. Instead, you were essentially following the law of God. And so he says, and now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. See, Ruth's actions here, a little alien, strange to us, where we are. But her actions actually move Boaz. Some people may see questionable motives in a Moabite woman coming to a Hebrew man at night. But Boaz immediately understood what was going on, and he praised her for what she did, for her actions. He didn't see something sinister in it. He didn't see something evil in it. Boaz had heard of Ruth's hesed kindness toward Naomi, where she had given and provided and helped her mother-in-law when she really was released from that. Where she left her land. She left her people in Moab. She, she stayed with Ruth. I mean, she stayed with Naomi, her mother-in-law. Boaz had personally witnessed her hesed kindness toward Naomi and working hard in the fields to provide food for her and for Naomi. And now Boaz sees in Ruth a remarkable young woman who is willing to tie herself to someone to fulfill the law of God and by implication to secure Naomi's life. So apparently from all that, there's a lot going on here. We are to conclude that Boaz was somewhat older than Ruth and that's why he points her kindness. And why he calls her my daughter. He tells Ruth not to fear. For what she wants, he will do. But then he throws this wrench into the mix. It's complicated enough as it is. But then he says, hey, there's something else. He tells Ruth that there is a man who's actually closer, a closer blood relative than he is. 
and that that man has the first obligation to act under Mosaic law as a kinsman, redeemer, to step into a relative's place to take care and to provide. But this is what, what Boaz does. He assures Ruth that if this closer redeemer does not act, he will certainly act, and he will certainly marry her. Boaz instructs her to stay until morning. Boaz probably is trying to protect her. doesn't want a, a single woman at night roaming the streets of Bethlehem. In the morning, Boaz gets six measures of barley. We're not exactly sure how much that is. We're not given the actual measurement. Uh, what it specifically is, there are some people who think it could have been as much as 80 pounds. We don't know that for sure, but we do know when Ruth got back to Naomi, Naomi was really impressed by the amount of food or barley or grain that had been given to Ruth. When Ruth reported what had happened to Naomi, Naomi assured Ruth that it would all be settled that day. Okay. So that's what we read. That's a summary. I just want to make sure we understand. So here's the question. What is actually happening here? What is it that we are supposed to see and that we are supposed to understand from this account of the life of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz? And what we are supposed to see, going back to where we started, is this backstory of God's sovereign Hesed. Hesed. That Hebrew word that describes a faithful kindness and goodness that is demonstrated and bestowed from one person to another. We are to see in their actions and activities the sovereign hesed of God. Certainly again, Ruth showed hesed to Naomi. Boaz showed hesed to Ruth. And over it all was the sovereign hesed of God. So let's, let's look... At three specific things here. First, I want us to look at God's sovereign Hesed in Boaz's honorable actions. God's sovereign Hesed in Boaz's honorable actions. Now, we are told in this account of Ruth that it takes place during the time of the judges. That's an important piece of information. Pastor Phil has talked about that a few times already. Because we know something that was going on, something else that was happening during the time of the judges. We know that during that time, lawlessness was the norm. People were rejecting the law and the way of God, as the scripture tells us, to do what was right in their own eyes. That meant that the law of God and the ways of God and the will of God were not valued and they weren't being upheld. Instead, everyone, to some degree, did whatever they wanted to satisfy whatever desires they may have had. This was a difficult time in that sense. And in the middle of this kind of morally corrupt and bankrupt culture was Boaz. Boaz was a man who was honorable in the sight of others and in the sight of God. We find that, that confession of others that they recognized and what kind of man Boaz was. He knew God's law and he tried to keep it. We see that in how he instructed his workers to make sure that there was grain that could be gleaned by those who were hungry or in need, thus keeping the law of God. One of the stipulations. That they were supposed to leave some for those who were in need, for those who were hungry. 
He did that. He instructed his workers to do that. We see Boaz's honorable actions in how he treated Ruth and how he instructed his workers to make sure she was provided for and to make sure that no one molested her. We see Boaz's honorable actions in his response to Ruth coming to him at night. Other less honorable men, men who were doing whatever was right in their own eyes, might have taken advantage of that situation. And having this woman who was sitting at and laying at his feet. We further see Boaz's honorable actions in how he addressed Ruth, a Moabite woman, as a daughter. We see his honorable actions in determining to make sure that she is actually redeemed according to the law of God. He's not just dismissing this. He's taking it seriously. And he wants to work it all the way to the end. Through Boaz's honorable actions, we are to see the sovereign hesed of God at work. We see the work of God's kindness and God's compassion in the kindness and compassion of Boaz towards Ruth. You see, the backstory of Boaz is the invisible hand of God reaching out through his faithful actions to extend grace and kindness to Ruth and to Naomi. Boaz was as he was because God was working in his life. Family, when we are faithful to our Lord, we will show hesed towards other people. At the heart of following Christ is loving others. At the heart of being a Christian, it is to extend the hesed love of God for us that we have received to other people. At the heart of a child of the living God is compassionate actions that others need. The ways of the Lord, the laws of the Lord, the will of the Lord is part of His expressed hesed kindness for us toward others. See, we are called to display the hesed of God to others in everything that we are. That what we have received, how we have been impacted, is to be on display in how we care and love other people. So the question is, just like for Boaz, who is in our life that needs to know the, the hesed love and kindness of the Lord? Remember, this is not a quaint feeling. This is not just uh, some noble intentions or some lofty thoughts. At the heart of hesed is action. It's, it, it's movement. It's doing. We are to make this a desire. And when we are seeking to follow the Lord as obviously Boaz was, it's going to find expression in our life because in the law of God, in the will of God, is His sovereign essence. We cannot understand it apart from that. It's not God's arbitrarily saying, I don't want you to do this and I want you to do this because I'm just fickle. God has a divine plan. The law is an expression of who He is and what He intends. So we see the sovereign hesed of God in Boaz's noble or honorable actions. Second, look at God's sovereign hesed in Naomi's risky plan. We see God's sovereign hesed in Naomi's risky plan. It was interesting reading different commentaries on this, that, that commentators are split on whether Naomi's motives were pure or not. 
there's a way that you can understand this that this can seem you know a little bit on the dicey side uh, but it is clear that the plan she devised for Ruth had some very real risk to it it had some very real, real risk first Ruth was a Moabite woman rightly or wrongly Moabite women were known as seductress in Israel Ruth came to Boaz at night when no one was around. This could have been seen as Ruth trying to seduce Boaz. Uncovering Boaz's lower extremities, his, his feet, was, was pretty bold. Naomi and Ruth didn't know how Boaz was going to react. They didn't know what he was going to do. But Boaz, being a righteous man, he could have waken up and he could have, could have denounced her. He could have said, no, get away from me. He could have ignored her. He could have shunned her. Ruth could have been spotted by someone else. She could have been denied entry into the whole area. Whatever the motivation of the desires, and I, I think probably for Naomi and Ruth, there were probably good intentions. It was still risky. Yet, the sovereign hesed of God was on display. God acted through their actions. God's kindness and compassion were displayed in Boaz's soft heart in response to Ruth. Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. See, this is our great hope in all things. We make our plans. We make our decisions. We take certain courses of actions. But our real hope is that the, that the will of the Lord, that the purpose of the Lord, that that will always be what stands. In our lives, we make these decisions. We plan. We work. But it is the sovereign will of God that will stand over all things. God's sovereignty his rule, His control over all things displays His kindness and love and mercy to His people. God works through faithful obedience of His people. But God works His good favor and kindness even through our plans with whatever our motives, however risky they may be. Time after time we see the sovereign hesed of God on display in our plans. And even those that aren't honoring of God, even those that are wicked in design, think about what happened to Joseph. He was betrayed by his brothers. He was sold into Egyptian slavery. After many, many years, Joseph is restored to his conniving brothers. But this is what he says to them. When they come together after many, many years, Joseph said, Do not fear. For am I? For I am in the place of God. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring about that many people should be kept alive. There was an evil intent in what Joseph's brothers did, but God was using that. God's sovereign hesed was over what was happening in Joseph's life, just as His sovereign hesed was over what was happening in Ruth's life. There is a consistent witness in Scripture that God is superintending all things to bring about His glorious hesed 
on earth for his people. Family, we must know that in all things the Lord is at work. We must know that at all times in our plans and even in our actions that God does, is not limited. Our plans and our actions are not a barrier to God. Our plans and our actions do not thwart God. God is so powerful that He is working at all times according to His good pleasure. And we know that for His children, for His people, His pleasure is to display Hesed. It is to display this kindness and this goodness to His people. He acts for our good. He acts for our benefit. We know He is working for us even though our weaknesses and failures and stupidity and sins just it, it, He works through it all because He bestows grace and mercy ultimately. So think about this. Have you made a bad decision recently? Maybe you've been following a path that is contrary to Christ. Have your actions been unwise? Maybe your motives have not been true or pure. Two things we need to know. If we're in sin, we need to confess that and repent. But even more than that, we also need to know that God is eternally committed Himself to the spiritual thriving of His people through the new covenant that is in Christ's blood. That there is never a moment in our decisions, in our failures, in our unwise actions, in our false motives, there is never a moment when God's greatest desire has ceased to be other than to display His hesed, His sovereign hesed to His people. Yes. Even when He disciplines us, it is to show Hesed. It is to show His resolve for us. It is to show that He is for us. It is to bring goodness into our life. Whatever we have done, whatever is going on in our life, whatever plans we may have, God's sovereign Hesed is greater. And He's working through it. He is committed to act for us. Not because we deserve it. Not because we merit it. But because we need it. This is what He did for Naomi and Ruth. God is so powerful. He works through all things. He is so powerful that He overcomes our inadequacies. He overcomes our poor decisions. He overcomes all that to work all things for our good. That's a powerful God. My life, your life, my plans, your plans, my decisions, your decisions do not disqualify us from the mercy and grace of God, from His Hesed. Actually, they make us exactly qualified for it. You may not have made all the best decisions as, as a spouse, or as a parent, or as a child, or as a neighbor, or as a co-worker, or whatever it may be. You may have come up short, but know that God is always at work, not just to display His power, but to display His power and Hesed kindness towards His children. When we turn to Him and we look to Him, there is hope for us all because our God is filled with sovereign Hesed. And that is what's driving all things in our lives. Finally, let's look at God's sovereign Hesed in Ruth's pressing vulnerability. In Ruth's pressing vulnerability. 
I have read and reread Ruth many times. I've, I've, I've listened to it read many times in the last month or so. And one thing that seems to stand out is how vulnerable she was. From the time she left her home to stay with Naomi, she left her people, she left her customs, she left her gods, she left everything that was familiar to her to, to go with Naomi. She was continually in a position where things could be done to her for which she had little defense. That's a vulnerable position. She was a Moabite woman living in Bethlehem. Hebrews were not known for being hospitable to people of other nations, especially those from Moab. She went out to glean in fields where being attacked was a continuing threat. There's a vulnerability there. She lay down at the feet of a man who could have easily taken advantage of her. When it finally looks like things are going to work out for her good, then she finds out there is a closer relative than Boaz who has first place of kinsman redeemer. It's all out of her control. So she went through this whole thing with Boaz only to find there's another man she might have to marry. Someone she probably doesn't even know. Ruth must have dealt with a feeling of vulnerability. Vulnerable because of what was happening around her and what might happen to her. But in her vulnerability, God's hesed was on display. God cared for Ruth. He protected her. He worked through His law. He worked through a risky plan because ultimately God was the one who was spreading His wing over her. Do you feel vulnerable in your life? It's interesting, as a young man, I don't think I ever really thought about vulnerability. As you get older, you begin to realize how things are not always so secure. I remember the first time I became aware of this. I used growing up I used to love to watch football games and I used to love to watch hard tackles. When someone would come and just plaster somebody. The older I get when I see that, I usually go, ooh, that's gonna hurt tomorrow. And that's gonna hurt twenty years from now too. Because I know how frail our bodies are. I've experienced that. As a young man I didn't think about that. Vulnerability is a very real thing in this life. Do you feel like you are not safe? You're anxious or possibly afraid of what might happen to you. We can experience vulnerability because of a number of things. It can come out of our financial situation. Where's the next paycheck coming from? How are we going to meet our bills? When will the economy get better? How much higher will the prices rise? These are things outside of our control to some extent. We can experience vulnerability because of health issues, disease, or some condition takes hold, and we feel a little helpless, a little hopeless that we can do anything about it. We try to do what we can, but modern medicine isn't always able to, to solve things. We can feel like our bodies are betraying us. 
There seems to be little we can do about it. We can experience vulnerability because of what has happened to us in the past. Past violations, past abuses, past betrayals can make us feel like it could happen again. And we just have to endure it. We feel vulnerable. Ruth had to feel incredibly vulnerable in the position she was in. We can experience vulnerability in our relationships, in our workplace, in our extended family. And it is in our vulnerabilities that the Hesed kindness, the sovereign Hesed kindness and compassion and faithfulness of God is so wonderfully experienced and so wonderfully displayed. All around Ruth, things were happening. Many of them she couldn't control, but the Lord was caring for her and the Lord was covering her. Are you dealing with feeling vulnerable? Feeling you are at the mercy of other people, at the mercy of an uncaring power, at the mercy of forces and whims of other people that you have little control over. For His people, the Lord is a strong fortress. For His people, the Lord is a steady rock. For His people, the Lord is a covering shelter. For His people, the Lord is a sure foundation. For His people, the Lord is a compassionate shepherd. The Lord is an attentive Father. Listen, and the Lord is an avenging God too. And the Lord throughout Scripture, has always moved and, be, and, and revealed a heart toward those who are vulnerable, toward those who are weak, toward those who are needy, toward those who are despairing. And He moves towards us to cover us with His wings. The sovereign hesed of God finds its fullest expression ultimately in the Gospel where the Lord takes care of our greatest vulnerability our sin. The Gospel was this, that God was in His Son, Jesus, reconciling sinful people to Himself. Through Boaz's faithfulness, through Naomi's plans, through Ruth's vulnerability, one day would come a person who would be born, Jesus. Through their lineage, and He would come and He would deal with the greatest vulnerability we feel. And it is through Christ we see the loving kindness, the faithful compassion, the securing love of the Lord most gloriously on display. God's sovereign hesed is at work in every child of God. Please hear this. It is affecting and directing the course of our lives. It is God at work loving His children by covering our sin, by giving us a new cleansed heart, by adopting us into His family, by filling us with the Spirit, and by purposing us as part of His coming kingdom. We can count on God's continued sovereign hesed in our lives as His people. That, that's one of the biggest takeaways. Whatever may be happening, we're being faithful in our life. We're following plans that may not always be the wisest that have risk to it. We're feeling vulnerable. Through it all, we know that God, sovereign Hesed, His commitment to our good and to our thriving spiritually, that that will be on display. Just as God's sovereign Hesed was being displayed in this book of Ruth. 
The new covenant in Christ's blood assures us of God always working and acting for our good. When we come to the communion table, it is always a reminder of God's sovereign hesed. It is a display to us again, a fresh reminder of how God is committed to our good through His Son, Jesus Christ. We take communion. The body of Christ. The blood of Christ. And it reminds us of His sovereign hesed. We experience in communion fresh encounters with the grace of God. And as we eat and drink, may our hearts be flooded with joy and gratitude for God's sovereign hesed that is displayed in Christ's atoning work. It's always been on display in His people from the beginning of time. It will be on display for all eternity that He is always working for our good. Let's pray.